0: Welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish Provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. The last few days, it has been impossible to avoid the whole Will Smith-Chris Rock incident, so I think we here on Provincial State of Mind podcast need to ask the tough questions. Tom, have you slapped a comedian this week? And if not, what else have you been up to?
1: I felt like it. I felt like slapping a lot of people this week, this weekend. They all had a common. If I was Will Smith, I would have slapped him too. Would have given the other hand as well then afterwards. Right, then left. I found it weird Will Smith slapped
2: him and didn't punch him. Is that just me? Like, if you're going to do that, do you not just punch someone?
1: I think the slap is more disrespectful. You, you, <laughs> yes. you, you disrespected my wife. So I'm going to disrespect you by slapping you across the face. I'm going to walk up to you, slap you, And he was roaring at him afterwards as well, which I thought was really good. And like a lot of people were just like, oh my God, this is like fucking shocking. Can you believe this? That this is after happening? This is like, I saw that in the pub two weeks ago. <laughs> like up the road. <laughs> that happened here two weeks ago. <laughs> Listen, and, and Chris Rock were in the pub
0: up the road from you two weeks ago practicing,
1: wasn't it? Oh, they were, they were rehearsing getting it in it was all fake it's pro some lad, wrestling some lad who thinks he's chris rock and you're really like shut <laughs> yeah. up man will you it was well, just, just like, doing it for the clicks if you boil it down right they may be multi-million you know multi multi-millionaires and famous actors and whatever else but it was just still two lads getting into a row over somebody making a, a bad crack at somebody else's girlfriend and getting into his crap over it who hasn't seen that <laughs> that's ever people go mad over it. it's just like i saw that here last weekend
0: uh, we're recording this week's pod a day early As Jeff wants to spend tomorrow night on the couch Eating cereal So what is your go-to cereal then, Jeff?
2: Uh, oh, it's Cocoa Pops if you're in a good mood, isn't it? That's the end of it Do you know what I mean? There's no real other one But uh, my week was fine, on. Thanks for asking I asked you last week That's okay um, I did that thing, though, where Do you know when you cook dinner And after you finish cooking dinner Or when you're kind of near the end of cooking dinner You realise you're short a key ingredient Did you ever do that? Just me? Why are you stonewalling me? Yeah. I know you said you'd do this, but please don't. Like, just answer me. It's not funny. Please. <laughs> not, not really. No.
1: <laughs> please answer me.
0: <laughs> not
2: funny. I don't care. Owen, how are you?
0: I'm Grant. Hello of mine. I room. don't care. Start, start <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, grumpy Jeff is back. Jeg Negel. Jeg
1: Negel. Jeg Negel, <laughs> Jeg Jeg Negel the grumpy. <laughs> I um. Do you know what I like cereal-wise? Dry Weetabix. Like the dry personality Weetabix. kind of thing, yeah. No, dry, 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 weedabix, is it? Dry, 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 and then dry yeah. white toast afterwards as well. That's be too flahou look these days. They're butter, and well, you hate butter, yeah. We discussed yeah, this yeah. last week, I think, didn't butter. we?
0: Butter, yeah. We got into the of Gold debate last week. Yeah. I forget
1: everything <laughs> we talk here. about the minute the podcast finishes, yeah. Just <laughs>
2: What's worse so, is after, after this podcast, sometimes people say to me, what you talk about tonight? I, go, I actually don't know. I have oh. no idea.
1: Just like refer back to the script. It's just like, fuck the script. <laughs> was there a script this week? There is. Supposedly. <laughs> I haven't oh. read it. But there <laughs> it was put right out there, there on the WhatsApp group. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Owen, oh, no.
2: why did you waste your time?
0: Oh, I know. It's like uh, Steve Carell in The Office. Sometimes I start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Does it look cool no, you, you can't see the video here But I'm holding the mic sideways Like Bruce Willis held the gun sideways was in diehard. die hard And it's also the fact you're wearing it- You still have that filter on That gives you sunglasses That's So awesome. you look extra dangerous I look so fucking cool here actually
0: Yeah yeah yeah
1: Oh brilliant Continue I'm just going to keep impressing everybody Which <laughs> would
0: be great Because there's no video to go with this there's podcast two, There's, there three
1: <laughs> there's th- two other people on this podcast And we know what you look like <laughs> There
2: should be There should be video. We should do a live one. We we are we are going to do a live one. Yeah, but we should do it like maybe after Europe or something like that. After four games, well, three games technically.
1: Only if only if Monster win, because I'd be just being bad form if my beloved Monster lose.
2: Well, if Monster lose, we could just pretend they win. Like I plan on doing about a certain province tonight. To be honest.
1: Let's get into it. Let's get <laughs> <Right>. into it. <laughs> right. Before we start
0: on that, then we'll go with the winner of the Bro Ball, kindly sponsored by Jeff, is Dermot Hurley, who picked out the line. If we burn ourselves to the ground, surely the English will come save us. Dermot, wasn't, congratulations. Wasn't my quote, Dermot? But that's no, fine. it wasn't your quote, but uh, in the production meeting, Jeff never showed up, so I got to choose who was there. Uh, so, Dermot, congratulations be in touched by email. To get to
1: can, we run a, can we run a tournament or, or a competition where I get rid of some rubbish in my house as well? Yeah. <laughs> Next I've, got a, I've, I've got a burst
0: rugby ball that I got
2: from Smith's below under I the have, stairs. I have two pens that are half wasted for t- the winner of
1: tonight's competition. <laughs> <laughs> I would genuinely well, send you the half burst ball that I have. Do you know the ones you get to you see in Smith's for a fiver? Yeah. Yeah. To say Ireland it was, on it. No, it's a blue and it's got some like brand name on it. Like I don't even know what it is. It kind of looks a bit like Rhino, but isn't. And uh, so I'm going to send it on to the winner of this week's competition. Are we having a competition? What's the, what's I don't the know competition? What competition is? No, I don't know. With
0: no competition Okay, just send send in any trans- email. <laughs> any email to provincial state of mind that you Transcribe
1: the entire podcast. I <laughs> so just realize, I want to keep that ball. Because if I if, 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 if I want to go and, and, and go back out warming up, I'll just pump it. It's still good, guys. I'll just pump it. It can have the pens. I don't want, I'm not that attached to them. I can write with something else. My old glasses. I'm getting rid of them tomorrow, so they can have my old glasses. See the world through my eyes. <laughs> that could be the name of my
2: autobiography. World through Tom's eyes, written by someone else.
0: <laughs> he doesn't oh, know Tom at all. Right. I think we better get into the rugby before this closes. Oh, rugby! Abstract.
2: Shit. Stick to this. <laughs> Stick, Stick to, to this.
1: Rugby. Rugby's boring. <laughs>
0: Okay, you know, we'll you, you
1: can't throw the ball forwards. Ridiculous. Yeah. I learned that in sideways game. only. Or back. Or backwards. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Going backwards, not me. Only forwards.
0: You're, you're very <laughs> much a
1: competitor. Forever twirling. twirling, Million, twirling. Millionaire <laughs> grind set. That's me. <laughs> Such a competitor. Just get a picture of Nigel Owens, right? And just have him going to go, you know, never go backwards, always pass the ball forwards and just kind of put it out there as one of those inspirational quotes. <laughs> be like the rugby ball always go forwards <laughs> nigel owen's rugby referee <laughs> and then like this is not soccer in really small small words like that. and then on the back like you know like
2: an unendorsed <laughs> this, this this is not endorsed by anyone
1: <laughs> on the control of this podcast would you yes would I you think, okay. rest your control of it back <laughs> I, sometimes you just
0: need to leave it off the leash for a while. Um, They'll, we'll start... tire them. They'll tire themselves out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I'll,
0: throw, I'll throw the ball. They can play fetch in a while now. Um, Connacht versus Leinster. Leinster beat Connacht 45-8 on Saturday night in the sports ground in the first of their three meetings in less than a month. Uh, recipe, referee, Chris Busby, issued two cards inside the opening three minutes with a red card for Tom Daly being the one that would eventually define the game. Um, in contrast to how tackles like this are seen in the Southern Hemisphere I don't think I've seen actually one view on social media that went against that decision um, and either that means I'm either doing a great job of curating my timeline on social media or the message around head injuries and tackle heights is at least getting to the fans if not the players um, Connacht made a game of it for the first half and went in 8-7 up at the break but six unanswered tries in the second half so I'll win the game comfortably um, before we go into detail on the game I want to look at Tom Daly's red card Connacht are a team that seems to feed on the emotional side of things and as we've seen with the Munster game in the sports ground things can boil over and when, and when the fire in the belly isn't necessarily there it can potentially impact on their performance such as Edinburgh away so Tom I'll come to you on this one first we're kind of too fired up for this game
1: seems that way Uh, You look at the early part of the, and this is what kind of gets me about the game. Um, Where Connacht has such a great opportunity, a gift inside the first minute. Didn't make touch from the penalty. And in the ensuing sequences afterwards, look, I know what Tom Daly was trying to do. He was trying to get in and put a marker down on uh, his opposite number, rattle him a little bit, and kind of go from there. I mean, we've seen it in every, you know, how many games have you seen that happen in? Maybe you've played in a game where that's happened got his timing wrong on this one. I think he knew, look, I'm probably going to get sent off for this now after it's happened. Um, Connock do seem to have that energy in them and it certainly worked in that monster game. You might remember, and again, was it Chris Busby referring the game that time? I think, was, was it Chris Busby referring that one in, in, in the sports ground? I can't remember. I'm trying to think back now, but like he kind of, whoever the referee was, lost control of that game fairly early. Uh, that that game in the sports ground back in January, and I think it actually suited Connacht. It brought it, you know, kind of it, it, it kind of vibe with the energy they were bringing, and it was a, a a big benefit to them. I feel even that scuffle at halftime, I think that actually benefited Connacht in that game. That didn't really get a chance to happen here. Um, that red card kind of you know softened their cough to an extent, and while they did really really well, they missed that ability. I think to take the game right to the edge. There's no reason why. And like I would say, especially when it comes to a when you get a back red card, there's no reason why you still can't win that game. The idea that oh, a red card, but well, you're going to lose, it becomes more difficult to win. But monster lost Simon Zebo playing a very, very good Ulster side, um, a couple of months ago and still managed to pull out the win. I think that game was there for Connacht to win, but for whatever reason, weren't able to put it out. And I think that 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 Leinster kind of pulled the game around in the second half, but. I don't buy the idea that Connacht just had no chance in that game. Bar you know, as soon as Tom Daly got recarrieded, that's the thing for me. That'll be the most disappointing thing for Connacht. That kind of hard, very, very hard for them to take. Um, and like they were certainly fired up, and I think that they got the best start they could hope for in a game like that. Really looking to pump energy into the crowd, but it just they once they lost Tom Daly, that kind of led. I think to a kind of a dip in energy that they were able to process through the first half, but when things started to turn against them in the second half, they didn't really have anything to answer with. And uh, yeah, like uh, I think good performance by Leinster to an extent, but that's an opportunity wasted for Connacht given the team Leinster had out and how they played in that second or in that first half, even with fourteen men.
0: Yeah, as you say, Connacht lived with Leinster for forty minutes, and I'm, I'm sure Andy Friend will use that as a, a motivation ahead of the Champions Cup games. But uh, What positives can Connock kind of take from the game and how might they look to attack Leinster over those two legs, Jeff?
2: I actually think the fact that the game kicked off and... Like, I, I was at this game and within 145 seconds of the game starting, we had two cards and you had about 10 minutes of just, you know, TMOs, conversations and all this between the two cards. I'd love to know the ball and play time for the first half hour of that game because it felt like barely anything. It literally just felt like kind of we were sitting there. It kind of felt like an American football game where you're watching a flash or something, suddenly it breaks, rages, another flash or something breaks, rages. And that actually suited Connacht, believe it or not, in my eyes, it suited Connacht down to a T because they were just able to do this, you know, quick flash of play and, you know, get that break, whatever. And if you look at the try as well, that they scored just before halftime, absolutely brilliant pass from from Carty. But that whole first half was extremely stop start, like unbelievably so. And if you look then at the second half of Leinster, the game was much more of a flow. It was a more multi-phase game and that absolutely suited Leinster. So I think if you're a Connacht player heading into this double in Europe against Leinster, this idea of you know playing long and transitioning and looking to tire them out, I don't think that's going to work. To be honest with you, because Leinster are very happy playing that multi-phase game, and when they were allowed to play said game, it was a different story. Now, I was chatting to to people involved in Leinster during the week and stuff like that, and they said that even if it or sorry, they said that if it was a 15-a-side game for the whole thing, they're now very conscious of going back to the sports ground and they're very aware of the challenge that faces them there and they know what Connacht can pull out of the bag. But on the flip side, and I know we're talking about Connacht now, but on the flip side, I think Leinster know now just to play a continuous multi-phase game because it's going to work. At the end, Like it's if they can get their... Their platform from the pack and just continue to play this multi-phase game, which they will once, once, especially once they have all their you know frontliners coming back in and everything like that. It's it's a it's a completely different game. So, I think they'll take something from the first half, but I don't like you know at the end of the day, you're winning going in at halftime. You still got pumped by the end of the game. I don't know how much confidence you can take from that, to be honest with you. And like even at the game, it was a case of in that second half when Leinster had the ball it was almost like a case of when rather than if they were going to score and I just don't know how much confidence regardless of how well you played for a period you have to be living in that period that has to be the continuous that's that's the that's how would you say it? that's the the criteria or whatever I can't think of the word now but like that's where that's where you're meant to be living as a team of just didn't live there at all so I don't know how much confidence they can take from what was the final score in that? Like 30... 45-8. 40, 45-8. 40, 40, 40, you know, what confidence can you take from that, Do you know, at the end of the day? So
0: I, I, I think there were certain things they did in that first half. I thought that they, they were effective at the breakdown at times. They got in and they spoiled Leinster's, Leinster's break. Um, they, they were able to slow the ball down. They were able to be effective at that. I think they're going to have to be much more uh, competitive at the line-out. In terms of being able to put people up and not, not our sack Leinster as as they come down um, and not allow them to launch off the mall and hope that Finley Beenham coming back can can make a a difference for them in the scrum because that scrum started to wobble fairly, fairly big time in the second half.
2: I tell you, it was a funny game to watch as a spectator live because it was a lot of stuff that you just didn't see. Like in terms of the scrum battle, I actually don't know what way that really went because. Obviously, you're sixty yards away from it, but probably the worst thing about being at the game, and I blame both Connacht and Leinster for this, is that nearly every single try that happened was on the other side of the pitch to me. Like, Always, though. I, I don't mean touchline; I mean literally the other try line that I was at. And after the game, I was like, "I came the whole way here for this game. You don't even have the decency
0: to score in front of me."
1: I drove all the way to Galway, and I didn't see shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's the that's the worst trip advisor review you can leave for the sports ground, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I went the
2: whole way to the sports ground, they scored in the other corner.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't star
2: No, but like like really, like you know, I, I just don't know what conduct can take from that game. I just I don't like to be honest nothing.
1: with you. Nothing. There's nothing to take from it. Like because uh, I was and, looking and, at the game and, back and no. having
2: Leinster, no, sorry for cutting across you, Tom, but having Leinster twice home and away. After Leinster just came to your stadium And put 45 points on you With
1: a rotated team, let's be fair Yeah,
2: robust but rotated yeah. I don't get how I, I just don't get it myself, to be honest
1: Very difficult yeah. Like Honestly, I don't think there's anything Connor can really take from that game Except maybe just to take Well, look, we were able to keep it relatively tight uh, For 40 minutes there They but, didn't score a second half Yeah, just, just no. very disappointing and like, if you're Leinster, you must be looking at those two games there. Like, genuinely. Like, and I don't like. This is going to sound trollish and and, and hot take. I don't You, hate, you it, hate Connacht, I don't really mean that. I do hate Connacht. But th- th- this is the thing here. Um, is it plausible that in the next three games that Connacht have against Leinster that they may have concede an aggregate of 150 points across the three games? It's not like, out of the realms. Not out of the realm of possibility, really, like, is it? Like, yeah? and that's the I thing, think... looking at that game. They're not, like, Is in, there's, like, there's very, very few positives to take from it. You could bring back Bundy. He will change things. But... Is he going to change 35 points or whatever it was like? I don't think so. And, like, you, you bring in, you add in guys that Leinster head out. That's a very difficult task for Connick. Like, look, not impossible, but I just don't know where they go from here. I haven't seen it in their game this season that they have enough to answer to to Leinster with Leinster playing at their best. I just, I don't see it.
0: Well, I suppose looking at that, like Connacht are effectively out of the Champions Cup hunt in the URC now. I think they'd either need to win the URC knockouts, the Champions, or, or, or the Champions Cup to actually qualify. Because I think then the way the URC table is stacking up, I think they'd need to get seventh to qualify automatically for,
1: need, the don't, they need they need to finish in the top eight, don't they? Because there's the no, the I think the fourth seventh, I think oh it's the it? seventh because the Welsh I don't
0: think the Welsh clubs are going to get into the top eight. I think oh yeah, uh, so I think that means that they need to either get into seventh, Spoofers to, to qualify to qualify for it, they need to either win the URC knockouts or they need to get to the win the Champions Cup. So like their next few games are is what Benetton away this week. Leinster home, Leinster away In the Champions Cup And then they've got Lions, Sharks and Zebra Good God! I suppose So like the question there is How do they, prior- or what should they Prioritise for that do they, do they throw everything at the URC Do they throw everything at the Champions Cup Or how do they go
2: I tell you another thing Another kind of aspect of it is Regardless of which one they prioritise Do they have the depth to do so I don't like think when so. you think about it, like Leinster twice in Europe and then going on a tour to South Africa, that's nightmare a, stuff. That's like it's a
1: lot for anything. Like, I, I know Edinburgh beat Conno the here. Sharks. I know Edinburgh beat the Sharks. There was specific, you know, uh, you know, the the conditions were, I think, a leveler to a certain extent in that game. Even though Edinburgh are very good, going to altitude against the Lions is a bloody tough assignment, and like. Connacht could be in line this year for one of their worst finishes in a number of years, certainly under Andy Friend. And like it doesn't feel that like that's the thing like they don't feel like a team who are kind of in and around tenth and could maybe even finish below that. So like their performances this season, I don't know whether whether it's talk around them, like they see, like they don't seem like a team with a record that bad, but. It's kind of getting there now, and like you look at those last like away to Benetton will not be easy. Going down to South Africa will be very, very tough, and you'd expect them to beat Zebre. But if they only get like we'll say one or two wins out of that, with everything that's going on around them, not coming away with Champions Cup rugby this season would be a massive disappointment, given where Connacht and how how they seem to have started or certainly their middle stretch of the season was very impressive, but it just seems to have all was,
2: spiraled. Also the fact it was an aim to get knockout rugby this year,
1: surely that carries across. Do you know, you build on that. like Yeah, as opposed to regressing almost. That, yeah, Like that's yeah. what it seems. Yeah. And again, like they've been playing some nice stuff at times, but it just, even in this game, it felt that elements of their game just were not suited to what they are in actuality at the moment it still seems like more of an aspiration, an aspirational style game where the, the, the length that they kick. And I know they've shortened their kicking game as of late, but that seems to add to their, their, their drop off in games. I know we've discussed that, but this second half collapse almost seemed to happen 20 or 15 minutes earlier than Mm -hmm. what it would, you know, the, the last 20 minutes, you know, and like that, that's the, that's the thing for me that like since you you said Jeff about the the, the you know the, the number of points they're conceding in the last twenty minutes, um, that other people are now also noticing. Um, free that, of charge, free by the way, free of charge. charge. Take Invoices. That. No, um, no but you look at that and you go like, okay, but if that keeps happening and it, it happened here again, like, are the guys they're bringing in enough to turn around what we saw in this game from? Leinster sending over, like you said, robust but rotated and still winning so comfortably. I know, Connor, we're down to 14 men. Are the guys there bringing in enough to turn that around, to get them to be a top-8 team? Because they've got good players on that side now. And it just seems that it's the season's just kind of running out of steam.
0: I, I think Connex and I, I said for a while, I think Connex are on a, on, on a rebuild over a sort of a, probably a, a three to a four year period that it needs to be looked at in that sort of a scale. But I think one, there's, there's two things. I mentioned it a, a couple of weeks ago where I said, I think reaching the knockout stage was a step too far, too soon for this team. Uh, and we've talked about it there in terms of regressing. I think the other thing is that they're actually, their form and their style of play matches what is wanted by Ireland. And I think they're now committing more players to the Irish squads than they would have had previously. And I think that's hitting them. There's guys like Bundy has basically, um, has Bundy played more than a couple of games from this season? I mean, like he, he's been missing, he's going to miss the Benetton game again. You've got Mac Hansen is going out. Carty, who hasn't been involved for a couple of years now is suddenly back in the Ireland squad and is missing games and has been shown up badly. And I think the backup um, with Beelum missing for the international squads, the backup isn't there to help them. And I, I think all these things are coming together to to, to give them a situation where, where they're not at the level that they want to be at or they feel they should be at.
1: What um, I saw this week, sorry to jump in there, just reminded me. Um, remember that press conference with Ron Nogara where he criticised Jack Carty? And didn't even really criticize him. Did we talk? Did we talk about that last week? Like not, I said, not, I, I forget on, about what we talked about. Not on the no, show. Not no, not no. That was yeah. a secret show. That yeah, was... oh, this the secret show. I was on that presser, right? And the way Ronald McGarrett spoke about Jack Hardy wasn't as disrespectful as it maybe came across in the press, right? But I saw some one of the most unedifying things I've seen in the last number of, I'd say, months, right, where there was a guy tagging Ronan O'Gara after the game. Bear in mind, Ronan O'Gara had just beaten, well, not him. He had not beaten him on his own, but his team had just beaten. Racing 92 nil them at home that same night. Somebody tagging him on Twitter, kind of going with with the highlight of Jack Harty throwing that pass for the try, which was nice. But like saying, what say you now, Ronan O'Gara 10? And it's just like, lads, he lost 45-8 at home. And you're picking out the one highlight and going, aha, gotcha now, Rog. It's just like, no, like, that's like, it, it, it is part of the problem where the highlights are being kind of held up as being, well, look, the highlights are great. I don't think, like, do you think Jack Hardy gives a shit? Oh, that was a nice pass. That kind of takes the sting off losing 45-8 at home? Absolutely not. And I think that a lot of the the talk that's around Connacht, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's a help to them. I know they try to ignore it. You know, I, I'm sure they do, but they don't want to be getting pats in the head, oh, nice highlights or whatever else. They want to be winning games. They want they want to be beating Leinster. And the team that there were more than good enough to beat that Leinster team, I feel. And it's just like, that was the thing that bothered me because I see that a lot, where there's a kind of an element of moral victory creeping in not to, you know, to, to the fan base. And sometimes that can kind of get in and just kind of linger. Connacht, like, I want to be, like, as, as much as I hate Connacht, and I, and I do hate Connacht. Get back to basics here. Yeah. I, hate <laughs> <laughs> I I, I would like to see them doing better than they are this season, because it's better for, for Irish rugby in general, and better for the players who go there. And, like, I, I I do like a lot what a lot of what they've done this season, but results just haven't been good enough. And like the idea of moral victories as well—that's I don't know—that just kind of rubs me up the wrong way whenever I see it because I've seen it a fair bit, seen it on my timeline. Of lads just being like, "Well, you know, we, we play lovely rugby and stuff like that." Fuck that! Lovely rugby. Wins. Getting the wins. Wins. Fucking hell. Winning finishing 10th in the ORC but getting fucking three or four tries in the end of your highlights for a try of the season. Fuck that. Fucking I mean, my voice is getting more high-pitched as I'm fucking thinking about this. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: In terms of the Benetton game then, how do you reckon that's going to end up for Connors? As I said, they're missing Aki but they should have Carty and Hansen.
1: That's a very difficult game, isn't it? It is away now in Italy.
2: Really? I'm going. I'm going for my beloved Connacht. What? I have to be right eventually. Like, <laughs> no, I do. I, I, I am going for Connacht in this one. I think. Um. Although, actually, hang on. Now that I think of Leinster in Europe well, wait, afterwards, it's, it's, which is a bit of Benetton as well, though. Yeah, but I. It just, just dawned on me there that uh, it's it's Europe after, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah i'm gonna I'm actually gonna take back what I said i'm gonna let you talk about it and then i'm gonna give my opinion
0: right well i I go first then I'm going for Benetton I think uh Connacht's away form has been very poor. I think Benetton should probably have a lot of their uh, Italian internationals back after um arrest and celebrating after the Welsh game and I think that might just be too much for to away. Um Connacht may have an eye on the, the double header Against Leinster coming up So I'm going to go for a home win Benetton
1: And uh, I think that Benetton From a style perspective Are a bad matchup for Connacht at the moment You look at how long And I'm going, we we're going to be talking about this as well in a minute How long Benetton kicked the ball Like they kicked the ball a lot And they kicked the ball very long The only two teams who kick longer than Benetton Are Leinster and Glasgow and that type of game, it pressures Connacht. And I think it kind of forces all of the worst parts of Connacht's game to the surface. They're going to have to work very, very hard to get around that. Because what Benetton are doing very well, and with the guys that they have come back from test camp, and like they've got Ratuva Tabayara back fit as well, superb player. They might like, Benetton will probably have Monte Ioanni as well, a couple of other guys. That's going to be a very dangerous assignment for Connex because Benetton have tightened their game way back. They do not play a whole lot of possession anymore. They kick the ball a lot. They kick it very long. That'll put a lot of pressure on Connex' transition game, which is generally very good. But it also means that they're going to have to probably kick long and return. And what that mean, and like that, that that is a problem because if if that gets into a, a long form situation, Connex can find themselves tiring pretty quickly against the Benetton side, who were very, very dangerous ball at hand and who were were looking to become more efficient than what they have been this season already. But what I saw from them on last Friday night was impressive to me and in line with what I kind of expected from them. I'm going to go with a Benetton win here relatively narrowly. I have a feeling it'll be high scoring. um, But Connacht, uh, I think they'll have to really tighten up their game coming into this one. That's a nice moustache. Oh, Oh, very nice, nice. Nice
2: filter.
0: Nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think that filter has taken the the heat off me picking a team, and then look regressing. a bit like Super Mario there. With it's the red the pring- it's, yeah.
0: it's it's the it's the Pringles man. It's the Pringles man. Do you, know,
2: <laughs> do you notice how he ditched his lines stop and he's back to his beloved monster? Ah, oh, there we go. Again, yeah. yeah, you're fickle, fickle. Um,
1: I tried to, when Owen was doing his bit there earlier, I, I put my filter to a, a Brussels sprout with lovely little red rosy cheeks to see if I could crack him. But he kept going right all the way through it. So professional <laughs> is our own. Someone has to be. So professional. Has to. I, laugh. I laugh. Call him the script. <laughs> Actually, the, the intro should be like Hall of Fame by the script. And that's when Owen starts talking. I don't like the script. Neither do I. Yeah, I but never did. Owen likes Owen likes scripts, so he should like the script. <laughs> logic states not lo- logic logic states. There's no place for logic here, Tom. No, Chuck the we, liberals. liberals.
0: <laughs> we're not going to let Jeff away with this now. He he, he does have to pick. I him. thought
2: I got away with it. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, look, I'm gonna. Do you know what? I'm gonna go with my beloved Connet.
0: Okay, even that's... though everything
2: tells me not to.
0: That's fine. That's all right, because uh Tom went with them last week and we saw how good that went. Let me down. Uh, <laughs> I hate I
2: hate Connor more than well, Oliver <laughs> Cromwell. of let you down. Welcome to the club, my friend.
1: <laughs> um looking at get the that, get that before. in Latin and put it on the badge. <laughs> Looking at Leinster
0: then, and uh, from the match from a Leinster perspective, they had six unanswered tries as well as some fine performances from the likes of Hawkshaw and Frawley. Um, And that would have kept, I think, Colin relatively happy as he plans for the games. But what do you think Leinster would have taken from the Cot game?
2: I think Leinster were very physical. And I feel, and we've talked about him before, the charge was led by Joe McCarthy. Watching him... Live he was absolutely nuke and rocks at times, and he just kept going like it wasn't like he was trying to pick his moment or anything like that, like he just kept going um He had a brilliant tackle as well on Butler started a little bit high, maybe, but you know it was nothing in it like but dislodged the ball, and I think Leinster scored four phases afterwards um he was excellent, and do you ever see a player after a game and you look at them? And just by looking at like not their face, but like how tape is hanging off them or how, you know, maybe more just on them or something. You look at them and you say he's goosed like he has emptied himself here. That's exactly how we looked as well. Um, I felt he was fantastic. I felt um, Frawley was very, very good. And sure, why wouldn't he be player of the match? Although he's very, ro-
0: very robust. You very. ever see
1: that film Unbreakable? That's Ciarán Frawley. That was no, a, that was he's a actually, rubbish film. I've he's, never seen it. I just he's actually went the for bad it. guy in that, Mr. Glass. So fragile. Oh, Ciarán Frawley? Yeah, just want to protect him. Yeah,
2: I don't know. You know, he gets smashed in the mouth early on and still gets player of the match. I don't know. I don't know what all the hype is about. I durable,
1: guy, like, is it Honestly, like, he's been a durable guy this season for Leinster. 717 minutes. Um, I was impressed with him in this game.
2: We've, we've probably already talked about Leinster, to be honest, in terms of that game and what they did, to be honest. Yeah, like their, again, their, I just, their
1: multi-phase game was
2: very, very good.
1: And, it's very, and like when you when you tailor that with their kicking game, which it, it kind of just, it kind of min-maxes every mistake you make with regards to your exits, you need to be so good at the breakdown defensively against Leinster because they'll just retain the ball and just go through phase after phase after phase. And they've got the cardio to keep doing it too. And that's the, and that, and, and that's the, the real killer when you're playing them. And I think that's why they're mo- the, the biggest map for what Ireland do. Because like, except Leinster kick more and kick longer, um, the way that they're able to punish you when you make a mistake or when you try to be a little bit hasty, where it's like, okay, you lose patience against Leinster, they'll just shred you. It and reminds that seems me to happen a- in this game. Do you remember uh, South Africa versus
2: Wales? Was it semi-final of Rugby World Cup, the last Rugby World yeah. Cup? And they, they just said, like, we're kicking the ball. Let them get frustrated. Yeah. We're going to kick the ball. Yeah. And then when Wales got frustrated, bang, there you go. Like, it just kind of yeah. Kinda remind, yeah that's actually a very good comparison if i do say so myself yeah very 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 well said jeff thank you
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> jeg nevigan jeg jeg negel with another fucking class one there. <laughs> there you go just a
2: just a clanger there boom coming in but like, but you, you look at
1: why Len, like why lens are just so difficult to play against is because for the most part like they don't necessarily have to overplay against anybody you see it against the teams who they don't stack up with physically where they end up in a bit of trouble and you know physically they can they, they're not found out but it's more difficult for them to play that type of game um against Connacht even when they were losing in that first half there was a lot of mistakes from from Leinster I would say I think they were maybe guilty in the first half when Connacht were down to 14 men a little bit of overchasing because they expected the space to be there so they kind of they kind of went a little bit off script I think I and think that Buck, kind of played Buckley, into there. Buckley, Buckley going off helped as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, actually. he was, I, I I haven't had an update on him. I actually hope that wasn't another knee injury. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, But like you look at the, the when they kind of came back out from halftime, they just seemed like they'd settled, like they'd just been kind of maybe dialed it a little back. And uh, they just went back to their game. And all of a sudden, try started coming and, Connacht looked like they had nothing for them in the, in that second half at all and like like we were saying they were like I was saying earlier like just because they were down to 14 men doesn't mean that you have to capitulate and it did seem like a bit of a capitulation in the second half but understandably so because Leinster were playing such a sort a form of pragmatic rugby which I know it doesn't seem that way because they they do score lovely lovely tries but it was so pragmatic there was no way for for Connacht to get any purchase. They couldn't get any any wins at the breakdown defensively, not enough anyway. The kicking game wasn't really working. Defensively, they couldn't impact. It just felt like Connacht had nowhere to go and that's kind of where Leinster can get be very, very dangerous where they don't really give you any avenue to get back in and uh, that's the, I think this game is a good example of it and it kind of goes all down through their layers, like whether it's the Category 1 team, rotated, probably the Minis on the rates team probably have that in
0: them. Yeah, and look, I think Lencer are one of those teams that w- once they're in that mood, they're they're ruthless, that they they don't actually take their foot off the off the throat. I suppose um off the field, big sort of news this week is the rumors in the media that Leinster are to sign ex all black Charles Nagatai, I hope I got that name right, uh, the Kiwi is primarily at 12, so this does look like a strange signing from a number of perspectives, Leinster currently have three centers in the Ireland squad with Henshaw, Ringrose, Frawley, and they also have given a lot of game time to Harry Byrne at 12 over recent months, Um and also next season, there's going to be less games in the international windows. So, there's no doubt, I think, that the signing makes Leinster stronger, but does it make sense from an Irish perspective? Jeff?
2: Yeah, this is what got me about this signing. I have no problem with this signing because, in my eyes, Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht can literally sign whoever they want. It's absolutely no skin off my nose, and I mean that. But, What gets me about the signing is, for me, it's strange. And it's the fact that people refuse, not everyone, but like there are some people who just refuse to recognize the facts. Like you say, it's a strange signing. They say, no, 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 it's brilliant. It makes perfect sense. But it doesn't make perfect sense. Because when you reel back to October, Frawley gets called up to, to Ireland camp for the autumn games. And there was people on social media saying he should be starting. He should be in. Then when he didn't start, and then he didn't get into the Six Nations squad as well, people were saying, oh, geez, I'm surprised for all they didn't get in. And you fast forward two months, and this signing now has been, well, rumoured, and people are saying, oh, it's fantastic. Ireland need it. They need it for international windows, World Cup backup, and everything like that. Leinster, or sorry, Leinster needed it for, for backup and everything like that. They haven't needed it yet. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's never been an issue. So why is it suddenly an issue? Now, as well as that, people are saying, oh, Frawley, you know, he's not robust enough. But, I mean, is that because he got injured? Because I'm pretty sure Henshaw got injured before. I'm pretty sure Rose has been injured before. I'm pretty sure people Henshaw's get been, Henshaw's been injured a lot, actually. But, I'm, but, like, I'm just saying, like, I'm pretty sure people get injured. Yeah. He's just re-signed. He's seen Harry Byrne now tipped to 12 as well. And now... The new signing, if it does come in, will not be cheap. And we spoke about that before, like the three of us, like it will not be cheap. ex all coming from France aren't cheap. He was player of the match against Connacht. And the very next day, he's seeing people on social media. And I don't know if he's seen it, but I'm sure he's got wind of it. He's player of the game against Connacht. And the very, very next day, he's seen people going, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, f- Leinster short in the centre. I mean... Charles, me, like, In, Charles Ngatai,
1: great signing. Yeah, great like, signing. great but like
2: stuff. Fa- Facts are facts. like, And to me, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm not knocking the other fella at all. But like, it just doesn't make sense to have a guy who was player to match the day before, 24 hours later, because the signing is rumoured, people are saying, brilliant, Leinster need this. Like To my eyes, they don't. There's also another side of it. And I'm sorry if I'm going on a bit of a rant here. But some people will hear me talking about this and say like, who are you? And yeah, fine, you're right. Like, who am I? But they listen to someone else. And because they're on a different platform or probably a published platform or whatever it is, say, well, he obviously knows what he's talking about or they obviously know what they're talking about. But facts are facts at the end of the day. And all I'm doing is stating facts. Like all this has happened with Frawley. I think the last part of it that I'd like to say is when it comes to how it looks, when you have a certain player signing for a certain province and then they sign for a different province, let's say the same player signs for a different province, yes, it can be different and it can mean different things to different teams. I get that, right? But when a player is signed for a province who's in the position of someone who is a proven talent, I don't understand how that signing suddenly makes sense and is different because it's, I don't know, X, Y or Z. Other people then have said the likes of Liam Turner probably won't get a contract or, or uh, Conor O'Brien probably won't get a contract or whatever it is. But like, if they're not playing rugby now at the moment for those teams and they've played very little rugby, what difference does it make if they're not there next season?
1: Like if they're not involved now. Yeah, they're not playing now. So why what, should that be a factor? Yeah,
2: exactly. Like it's like saying, oh, that this half, this half used pen that we're giving away on this week's podcast. It's like me saying like, well, I'm going to get another half-used pen, even though I don't use the other one. But like, it just makes no sense. So, like, to me, the signing, if they sign him, brilliant. He's a brilliant player. Absolutely have at it. It's genuinely no skin off my nose. But when it's being portrayed as a fantastic signing because Leinster are struggling for debt there, that's the bit that I just refuse to buy, if that makes sense. You know what my conspiracy
1: theory is? mine wasn't a conspiracy theory but go on anyway oh no but this is this is my conspiracy theory i think any criticism of this signing would be de facto criticism of leo cullen and as such cannot happen leo cullen is
2: probably the most successful provincial coach of all time is that oh yeah for sure no
1: well he clearly knows what he's doing. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Like I, I did. I think did did, did Joe Schmidt win more? But I, either way, I, either way, Leo Cullen is a hugely accomplished coach, right? And like I think it, like Charles Angatay is a great player. Like he actually is really, really good. Um, but he plays the vast majority of his rugby at twelve. And if Kieran Frawley is as good as everybody says he is. Why would you then need to sign Charles Engatai? Unless you're going to be losing players that we don't know about over the summer. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I don't see it personally, but like that's the only way it would make sense to me. But if you're to go like, well, Huron Frawley at the moment, I would say would be what? The, the number two guy in that 12 jersey? Because he doesn't play at 10. Like, he doesn't start at 10. Yeah. I know, that, I know he that can narrative,
2: let's ignore that too. Yeah. yeah
1: like, because th- th- this is rubbish. Like, this idea, oh well, he's, uh, maybe, maybe Leo Cullen wants to have a look at him at twelve or at, at ten. He could have had a look at him at ten the entire time over the last two seasons and hasn't done it. I think the last time he started at ten was in January twenty twenty. This is two years ago now. So I'm looking at this and going, look, either Ciaran Frawley isn't as good as people are saying, like that that people are saying he is, or Charles Engatai is going to really improve Leinster and jump in there behind Robbie Henshaw. Like, I don't see how it can be both. Because if Kieran Frawley is that good, and I think he's a I think he's a really good player, then Lincer wouldn't be signing a guy to come in. And, oh, but he's gonna play ten. You've got Johnny Sexton, you've got Ross Byrne, you've got Harry Byrne. So now you're gonna say Kieran Frawley is what? Like challenging for third on that depth chart? And now he's third at twelve as well. Realistically speaking, change the jerseys around here. And if this was a signing that Munster made, the criticism and the way it would be discussed would be radically different. And people can talk all they want about how different things are different. And yes, different things are different. But when you're signing a guy to come in and he's literally jumping into a spot, and, and, this, and look, this is only rumored signing. It might not happen. But if it is, does come to pass that Charles Zengertai does sign for Leinster and that guy is going there, what does that say about Kieran Frawley and how he is rated internally? It it doesn't say a whole lot good, but doesn't make that like that doesn't make sense to me because they re-signed him on a two year deal. Like so, a month ago. A month ago. So that, that to me doesn't really make any sense. And to criticize that deal and go, well, like, is this not blocking? Like again, because again, I've always said blocking doesn't exist. But I've been told repeatedly by people, oh, well, look that guy will be blocked if this South African dude is signed. Well, but, let,
0: let me just come in there one second because, like, I think this... You're were, you were right. This only makes sense if someone is leaving, right? And Frawley has signed up and Ringrose has signed up. So the only one there is Henshaw who's out of contract this summer. So this only makes sense if Henshaw is leaving. Now, for Henshaw to leave a year before a Rugby World Cup... Unusually. Leave, 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 leave the Irish set up like that would be very, very unusual, right? Now, so... And this is still a rumored signing, but that would be the only way it makes any sense, right? As, as unusual as those circumstances sound, that's the only way it makes sense. The difference you're talking about there in terms of blocking and everything else, there's a, there's, a, there's a narrative around, and that narrative is very easy to see when you look at the difference between, in the last 12 months between Jenkins, when he signed for Munster, and when he signed for Leinster, right? If you look at this, these, signings that Leinster are, are making in terms of Jenkins coming up and um, Nagatai coming in. This is the criticism that Munster received in terms of De Allende in terms of Fekatoa in terms of Jenkins and all this. is They're blocking the path of players developing. In Leinster, this is not a case of blocking the paths of players developing. This is blocking the path of Irish international squad players. You're talking about blocking out a fraudy You're talking about blocking out either a Ross Maloney, a Joe McCarthy, someone like that, into the blocking their playing time. So, like if anyone's going to have a go, that's where it needs to be looked at. It's not about sort of can a player develop into something. It's you're actually stopping and you're impacting on an Irish international squad specifically. And the other strange one is that I think is if this signing does come in, that would leave. Uh, Leinster with three non-Irish qualified uh, signings for next season in Alatoa uh, Jenkins and Negatai which would be more I
1: think than If you said that 12 months ago that that would be Leinster rather than anybody else you'd just be like that doesn't make any sense
0: No, and I mean once the whole system has been turned around as it has been in terms of player development into schools and the huge numbers your primary pathway is coming out of the greater Dublin area and schools rugby there. That's how it feeds into the national squad, into the starting 15 of of the national squad. So once once that's there, you would imagine, and logic would tell you, that the least amount of support from outside
1: should probably be in that province. But you know what? If I'm a Leinster fan, who's calling myself today thinking that, well, we don't really need Jenkins and, you know, Frawley can play at 10 when Johnny's off, you know, you know, scaling Mount Everest or whatever he's going to be doing next season. I'm not I, I'm gonna get a moment of clarity and go, thank God Leo Cullen doesn't buy into any of this shit. Because Leinster need a guy like Jason Jenkins. At they the same, need a guy at, at the same time, though, if I'm
2: a Leinster fan and this signing does come to pass, I'm still thrilled.
1: Oh, for sure. Oh,
0: yeah. Like, He makes them stronger. Like, he is yeah. a
1: very good signing. They should yeah. be going, Who thank God to? Leo so. Cullen doesn't buy into this nonsense because Jason Jenkins would improve Leinster and make them more likely to win a Champions Cup next season. Like, seriously. Like, he is, he is going to be that good for Leinster. Charles Engatai, a fabulous player. Like, um, like, he's a really, really talented guy. And if Leo Cullen has gone to the bother getting that guy in, like, it's for a good reason. Yeah. And like, Leo Cullen makes good signings. They bring in good players. And like, that that impact is going to improve Leinster, regardless of what it does to the depth chart or any of that shit. Like, they look at that and go, whatever. These guys are happy to play play here. They're happy to sign. We're going to improve. And like, whatever about depth charts or blocking guys or whatever the shit, you know, whatever that is. Like, Leo Cullen doesn't listen to any of that garbage. Winnings winning. He- Winning is winning but, and he's bringing in guys who are going to help Leinster continue to win and everything else But It's, it's, not, Leo,
0: it's not Leo that needs to answer that question. No, that's the Leo, thing. Leo, Leo, yeah. It, Leo will sign as many players as he can in terms of doing it. It's an IRFU policies that are in there to stop them doing so. And the question has to go back to someone like New Sephora and whatever the current version of the player advisory group or whatever it is, the PAG or whatever it's turned into these days. How, how is that being allowed? And as That I said, has actually
1: changed only- change though it because uh, i heard this a couple of weeks ago that the uh the, the framing around it has changed because it used to be I don't know how before it used to be where uh you could only have x number of non-irish qualified players in the squad then that was kind of done away with then it's like oh well you can only sign a player if another province doesn't have a non-irish qualified player in that position that's kind of gone as well and now it's very much on a case by case basis. So like Munster got dispensation to re sign RG Sneaman, for example. So like even though like they would then be replacing an Irish qualified player, like he'd be getting a second contract, which would be rare anyway. But then you look at Damien Delende leaving and you know, Munster signing Fekatoa who signed he plays at 13 in midfielder still they're replacing and not you know in one Irish qualif- non Irish qualified player with another one. That's kind of changed up recently. And I think if, if you're Leo Cullen and you're, you're, you're bringing in a guy like that, my interest is what is he seeing in his group of players that he feels he needs to do that and needs to bring that guy in? And like again, like is a fine player, but not cheap. That's what, that's what interests me is like, what is the squad building rationale for this? Because it must make sense. Like, people are going, oh, well, it, it's a great signing. It is a great signing. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But again, look, maybe Kieran Frawley is happy enough being in the third spot in that in that midfield. Maybe he is. Like, he could be the And that's what I mean. So it's just like, that's what interests me. What is the rationale internally for this? We won't know, but that's what fascinates me.
0: Okay. Moving on then to Munster, who had a very solid, if yes. not totally impressive, 51-22, My beloved Munster win, win win over Benetton on Friday night in Cork. Uh, four second-half tries helped him to a comfortable victory that was never really in doubt. Uh, again, some very strong performances, especially from the the youngsters like Seckendal and Hodnett. Um, I suppose we'll start off maybe with this one. We we'll go to you, Jeff. What did you make of Munster's performance? and where it leaves them coming into the Champions Cup knockouts?
2: Polished is a word I'd use. It looked very polished. And there was one strike that they scored off, a set-piece move, and it was perfect, absolutely perfect. And I had a look at it in Patreon this week. But I sent it on to a player from the squad, or in the squad, I should say, and I just said, this was technically brilliant. And they replied and they said, we practiced it 10 times in training this week and it worked every time. And it just had that look about it, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, it, as a game as a whole, I feel Munster were on top in pretty much every facet of the game. And it was kind of one of those games where you don't, how would you say, at no point do you like, oh, Munster are in trouble here, or it looks like it's not on. I felt like pretty much from the off Munster, we going to get the win and just the way it went was again, very polished. And I saw it. I know I said that a lot. Ken Dillon is just improving and improving. I think the way we talk about Joseph McCarthy, um, or Joe McCarthy is the same way that I think we're talking about Ken Dillon in the last couple of weeks. I think the two of them have a very bright future alongside each other in um. In a in an Irish pack, uh, over a very long period of time, it was a pity. I felt, or sorry, I take this back. It, it it was a pity that Sean Klein was a late withdrawal in the manner he was withdrawn. If that makes sense, but I actually think, considering how many minutes he has played in the last couple of months, it might be a blessing and a curse. If that makes sense, and um, like it's it's not a case in my eyes anyway. It's it's not a case that. Jean Klein would be playing for position because he's a nailed on starter in Munster's strongest team, let's be honest here. So I think just like, you know, I, I think him just getting a night off, especially against, you know, the the opposition Munster had was probably probably uh a blessing in disguise, I suppose.
0: And and Tom, in, in terms of the I suppose if we take the even the last three matches. There is there anything maybe in on even on the defensive side of the ball that Munster will have some worries about coming into the Leinster game and then the the two Champions Cup.
1: Uh, well, discipline is a factor. Um, Munster have conceded the second most num- amount of penalties in the URC this season, which is mad when you think about it, because like you would normally expect a team who boost conceded on average like well 150 penalties in 14 games. So whatever the maths are, the maths whiz amongst you might be able to work out what the average of that is. Um, But you look at the, you look at the, the monster's defense and points score points conceded and tries conceded should be way worse than what it is. But monster have only conceded 21 tries, which is only one uh, more than Leinster at the third best defensive record in the league from a, a points conceded perspective. So, like, when you look at the penalties that Munster concede, um, like, for the most part, I think that they're almost baked into Munster's defensive structure. Like, you look at the the games that Munster lost. You said the last three games there. Like, Munster lost the penalty count in uh the two games in South Africa, 12-6 and 12-8. And I think they lost the penalty count in this game as well. I think. Not sure. I'd have, have, have to go back and check. But it's whenever Munster lose to Osprey's to Connacht to Glasgow penalty count, is always way higher. I think it was 18 penalties to 10 against Connacht in that game in January 1st. So like, I think that is a concern to an extent, but I can't th- I think Munster on the whole are actually quite a difficult side to attack against, you know, like Munster concedes smart penalties because again, you, teams will concede penalties, Munster concede. I would say for the most part, smart penalties, you stop the play. If the opposition want to go down the line, Munster have a very good defensive line out, a very good defensive maul, and they can take, or I think are happy enough to live with three. Um, And I think that's an element of Munster's defence, I think, that is, when I say baked in, that they will concede penalties, they'll run the risk of a yellow card. You look at the, it, it, you know, Munster's defensive line out, defensive mall, really strong, was really strong in this game as well. Um, I don't think they'll be too concerned over their defensive record. Um, I think on an individual game, indiscipline can certainly cost them. But in this game, I felt that, you know, Munster needed to get a few breakdown penalty wins. They got them. And then they're really efficient, I feel, off the line out. I and mean, they got position in Benetton's half, they were very, very efficient in taking those opportunities. And that's something Munster have been building over the course of the season is becoming more efficient and uh, being a very cynical, tough team today against uh, To again, certainly.
0: Actually, one, one of the things looking at when I was watching the game on uh, Friday night that stuck out to me was I honestly thought uh, at times John Hodnett was like Axel. It's, it's that same scruffy look, the disheveled look the um he, he always Axel always reminded me of sort of the uncle at the wedding about six points in the tie was never on the bottom the top collar was never on. i think uh, uh hodnan has the same thing and he also has that same referred to as the fat man track between rocks he just seems to know where the ball is going to be where it's going to go and has that thing and I th- i thought he was absolutely outstanding on friday night um Jeff, you mentioned that there previously, like John Klein was a late withdrawal, which meant Gavin Coombs got some additional time in the in his second row experiment. <laughs> um, like, and I suppose it it does open up, I suppose, a few questions as to what Munster will do with their second row over the over the coming games and towards the the, the knockout stages of the the season because they've got Klein, they've now got Jenkins. Um, Available as well So they they can go quite heavy They've got Coombs Who's been filling in Um, And obviously they've got um, Tom Hearn is back training now I believe at this point And they've also got Tyg Byrne And I mean Within those options How do you see them stacking up For the likes of Leinster And um, Exeter And like Do do they need to play Tyg Byrne In the second row Or is he sort of more A a blindside When they come against the, The top heavy teams I think when you look at Exeter and
2: Leinster they pose the same problem in terms of you want to get on top physically. If you have players such as Gavin Coombs, sorry, am I coming across? Okay, by the way, I had to change my, yeah. yeah. Um, If you have a player like Gavin Coombs who has time in the second row, it's not the same as calling him a second row. And when you're playing, knockout rugby in Europe and when you're playing teams like Leinster and Exeter, you want your best players on the pitch in the positions in which they can excel. So in my eyes, yeah, uh, Gavin Coombs got time in the second row there in that game against Benetton, but you want him in an area where he can carry, he's comfortable, he can have the biggest influence he can on the game and that's going to be at number eight for him. Um, I think with Jenkins now being available, Put it this way: Like, if he's a guy who can help Leinster win Europe next season, he is certainly a guy who can help Munster win Europe this season. Um, like it's it is what it is. He's the same person. He's the same player. So, um, I, like it, uh, you'd be you'd be very tempted to include him, wouldn't you? Like, despite the fact he's very little game
0: time. So does, does that mean you you move Byrne to six then, and you you load up with the likes of Klein and Jenkins in the second row?
2: Well, like, if you load up with Klein and Jenkins second row, you move to six, you have Coombs at eight, and you have someone like O'Mahony at seven, that's a f- serious back five in anyone's books. And you can have someone listening now going, Peter O'Mahony is useless. You no, know, he's not. So, like, you know, that's a, that's a serious... Well, I, I was being polite, but... <laughs> that, like, that's a serious back five, you know? So suddenly, like, you're looking at a team like that, where does the likes of Hadnick come in? Where does Kandelin come in? That has been the boatman so good this season. The likes of Chris Lode. Like, yes, you're leaving out guys, but like you're seriously loading up on game winners here. Size, power. Yeah. And like we, we talked a lot before in the past, power is expensive. There's five guys in your back five forwards who are seriously powerful. You're already paying them. And despite the fact that some people seem to think like, oh, well, they're leaving next season, so they should make way for guys now. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand that mindset at all. Like, they're on your books. They're going to help you win. Get them on.
1: Like, genuinely. There's some people who believe that. Six foot eight, the powerful or tight head lock second runs cheap. That that's a cut price guy you're signing there. Oh, Jason nice. Jenkins is a top player. Like he's a guy who's going to be so important for Monster the season to keep fit. The power. And like it's, you it's saw like, this, Jeff. It's, it's like Gavin,
2: well. Gavin Thornbury coming back for Canos. Like if you have guys that size and that powerful coming back, you don't look at them and go, "Oh well, it's nice you're back," but we haven't really played much. You're, you're thinking, "Thank God they're back."
1: Yeah, thank God we can plug that guy in because that, that gives us the power to be able to compete and worry teams. Like I looked at the, remember the mall try Munster scored in the second half against Benetton? All of that, not all of it, the majority of it was coming through from Jason Jenkins as the front lifter, absolutely pulverizing through Benetton, who are not a, a, a team of soft puffs either. You know, they got bullied out of the way by Jason Jenkins. In the scrum, him and the tight head side behind Keenan Knox, drilling through Benetton on their ball. That's why you sign guys like that. And like he's in, he got turned over at one point late in the second half. Lost the ball. Over the next two phases, he went flying after it and just ripped that ball out of the I think Tom's so excited we lost him there on the internet. Oh God, I just, I just got, I just got so wound up about power, we <laughs> just started disconnecting here. Um, but man, he is a a really powerful guy, and I think that him in that monster pack as a either start, even as a as a powerful finishing component is enough to give Munster eighty minute eighty minute power. I think, yeah,
2: yeah and against this Leinster game, who are you going for on.
0: I have been, I think look, both sides are going to be trying to reintegrate players back in. I think Munster might have just a bit too much. I know it's 2018 since Munster last beat them in Tome Um, but I just have a feeling that this is going to be Munster's game. I think they're going to sneak this um, by less than the score. I'd say there's only going to be one or two points in it.
2: I'm going with Munster as well. Sorry, I, I was well. so excited. I jumped straight I jumped in down. there
1: and Tom I'm gonna go for a win for my beloved monster I I think looking at um I think looking at looking at uh Leinster's setup at the moment um they are not under massive pressure to bring back their Six Nations guys uh their test players with I know they've got Connick coming up but I think that win against Connick last weekend would have gone. We don't need to rush any of these guys back who've got a lot of miles in the clock this season. We don't need to rush anybody back for this game, um, given that they've got two games come up against Connacht and then games they'll back themselves to win all day in that last uh, regular uh, couple of rounds of the regular season, but with the buffer that they have. So we'll see. I think Monster will will pull out the window.
0: Okay, three for Monster there. Moving on then to Ulster, who had a narrow 23 20 loss to the Stormers in
1: Cape. Should have called the podcast three for Monster.
0: There's there's, there's, there's of those podcasts out there already. Um, a bad start to the game for Ulster saw them go 14 0 down inside the first 10 minutes, but they battled back into the game and were denied a late try by the TMO. As Callum Reid's effort was wrongly disallowed after the referee had awarded it. The URC's head of match officials uh, confirmed after the match that the try should have stood, and it does give little confidence, I mean, in terms of the TMOs and even match officials at points um, over the last few weeks. Um, I suppose, look, assuming that this is a game that they probably could and should have won, was this a game that Ulster should have targeted at the start of the tour as winnable? And how much of a cost is it now that they they didn't get the win?
2: In my eyes, Ulster did win. And I refuse to believe the scoreline. I refuse to believe the websites or anything like that. Ulster won this game, essentially. And um, the biggest reason that I believe this is because I called Ulster to win Last week And I feel absolutely robbed By the team Whatever about the fans Or Coaching staff Or the players themselves I was robbed So I Firmly believe that Ulster won this game There's nothing you can say That will dissuade me Ulster won Apart from the table No it's f- Fake news Ulster won fake that news. game
0: Going They won
2: they won, they won 27-23 With a late try That was awarded to Callum Reid.
1: There you go. It should have gone to him um, in in an alternate universe for winning. They won, Tom, away in South Africa. They, they should won. have. They it won. was a like, but like, we don't really go on too much about refereeing on this podcast, um, because it's a tough, it's a tough game to referee and TMO, um, but. To see the referee manager, the aftermath of this game, uh, you know, basically say there was a fuck up here, um, and other teams have got confirmations after the games that refs and TMOs going, yeah, sorry, we fucked it up, we got it wrong. Um, it's the kind of thing that it needs to it it, it needs to um, it needs to improve. Like it, it's not something that when you look at the the league as a whole, I, I you know, it, I think it obviously is best league, but you look at the, the refereeing as something where I think it's, it needs to improve. And I think you can look at a number of games there's a season where you've had, you know, what the fuck is going on here? It's, a, it's been a constant, like, and not just this season.
2: I think there are a number of very good refs in the league, but there's, very, there are, there's a couple of refs that just add to this narrative that the reffing is poor and what I suppose the biggest thing that got me about this decision wasn't the fact it was wrong like people get things wrong you know like a ref could have looked at that and said that's a knock on whatever fine and you're kind of looking at it going well no it wasn't you know whatever it is but what got me probably most was that his on-field decision was a try and without the conclusive evidence they reverse that decision instead of revisiting what the initial decision was, if that makes sense. So they kind of almost talked themselves out of it, if that makes sense.
0: Well, I, I think you said there about, you know, it's the number of referees. And I think it goes, it's not just referees, it's match officials, because it, like we've seen in TMOs, if you, even if you take the last few weeks in, in South Africa, like Munster had the one the, against the Lions where, you know, oh, they went the back, fight, fight, Kevin. fight. Oh, that one,
2: sorry, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, they had the hit on Kandelan and they also had the one that went back five five or six phases when they're only supposed to go back two and this one, again, as you said, it wasn't the referee who got the decision right, it was the fact that when they went and had the, the discussion around it with the TMO and it was instigated by the TMO. So, you know, and generally it tends to be that the TMO is not the most experienced of the match officials, it tends to be the referee is. So, you know, there needs to be something there, but that's, luckily, that's look, a, a longer team to look,
2: resolve. Luckily, luckily Callum Reid did score that try. and Ulster one, <laughs> so it's fine. And I know I like, I, like I, I'm, I know I'm messing there a little bit, like. But I was thinking about this today, right? Just in terms of Ulster's next game, um, against the Bulls, right? Uh, and uh, like, just bear with me for a second, because like, I, I will make sense. I promise you. Sometimes you can lose a game, and you can say, right, we lost that game. Going into the next one, you know, let's up it. Blah 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 blah. Ulster I think will be saying to themselves here we didn't lose that game and we know we played well enough to win that game we should have won that game it was it was a, it was a deci- a wrong decision outside of our control that lost us that game so I still think that they will be going to the bulls and I know on paper and on the website and on the table and all these minor details that don't matter I know that it will say that Ulster lost the game but they will be saying to themselves in camp no we did win that game like we should, like it, was a, it was a wrong decision that cost us We were still worth the win, if that makes sense And there's still confidence to be taken from that If that makes sense
0: I, I think it is, but I, I think the fact that this, is, this This would have been the game that they would have targeted to, yeah. to win, to get to pick up the points Because they've got the Bulls away, obviously This, this week coming, you know, they're going up to altitude Is That's it the, is it the Bulls? Well, the, we're not quite it, sure. Is it could be the Sharks, could be the Lions, maybe? Is it the, definitely the Bulls? I think maybe the Scarlets. I don't know. Yeah, right. what's going we, on? We, 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 don't do <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't do it. Apparently,
2: apparently, Tom, Ulster are in South Africa.
1: <laughs> what? Why South think Africa?
2: They, they took a wrong turn.
1: There's a South Africa?
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> who knew? <laughs> <laughs> who knew? I was like, listen, Owen is telling me they're in South Africa, so I'm willing to believe him. He's kind of right sometimes.
0: Um, and then they have to come back. Obviously, they have a long travel back from South Africa. Is South They're Africa going, far away? Uh kinda is.
2: Like Belfast China. Cork, or are we talking? Yeah. Like are we talking Limerick Waterford?
0: It's it's probably more Cork Limerick on the back roads.
1: Oh, <laughs> or ma- ma- maybe That's maybe low. maybe Cork Donegal. That's that, on sort of long. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then they have to travel to South of France then For the weekend For the Toulouse away first Then they have Um, Toulouse at home And Munster at home
1: To the south of France Tom Yeah
0: Owen's having none of our silliness today I know Did you
1: notice He's going to send us a long Shouty voice note He's really A WhatsApp afterwards He's really not happy I started crying after the last one he sent Yeah I wasn't
0: Lads It's fucking midnight I have to go to bed soon (laughs)
2: wasn't happy Tom. anyway we
0: started recording this at half six it's fucking <laughs> <difficult>. <laughs> it's like the scene from father ted just play the fucking note um but yeah like you were talking so okay whew, back
2: to reality you were yeah you were talking about if they were going to get a win they'd probably target this one i know that and in terms of points like coming away from South Africa with the points, but I'm just talking about confidence heading into the next game. Like in my eyes, it's not like they're heading into this next game, like Connacht are heading into the next game. Like, yes, it's a loss, but it's 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 a, it's a vastly different situation.
0: But if whether it's whether it's confidence or whatever else, if they walk, if they lose against the Bulls, and then potentially lose against to lose away, that well, like does I mean, put that. That does put them in a in a sort of, and that's something that could potentially happen. That does put them in a different situation to anything that they've really faced so far this season.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and like as we know, like the like the wheels can come off a season very quickly. That's we've seen that already with a certain province, you know, and it happens. But at the moment, and it's all ifs and buts. It's maybe it might, maybe maybe they might beat the Bulls. You know, they might go away to lose and pull off a win. And suddenly we're talking about them thinking, geez, they're gonna top Europe or they're gonna win Europe. You know, it's I you can I think you can only kind of go game by game and coming out of the last game, they can still take a lot of confidence. If they lose against the Bulls, then they're in the same situation as Munster were coming home from South Africa after two losses on the road. And Mm. we're still talking about Munster in a positive light, you know. Mm. I think you know, so it's I think it's a little bit different that way, but I do think the Bulls will get the win uh, against Ulster. Um, all jokes aside, and I think that um, I think they will come home with maybe two points, a bit like Munster. But even if that happens, I don't think it's the end of the world for them.
0: No, I, I I think they could be I think they could be facing into something there. I think it's going to I think potentially bringing up to that Munster game is going to be a season defining one for them almost. Um, I'm I'm with you. I th- I think the the Bulls. I think the uh, their home games are probably worth a ten point start to them, and I think they're going to 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 win that one next week. Um, and then it'll lead into a a sort of a the Champions Cup and see how they go with that one but I think the travel there is going to be a big problem for them we'll move on then to uh, Ireland versus Wales and the women's Six Nations uh, where Ireland had a disappointing 27-19 loss to Wales on Saturday afternoon Ireland started brightly and actually went into the break 14-5 up but four second half tries including two in the last 10 minutes when Ireland were down to 14 meant they came away without even a losing bonus point. Um, I suppose Jeff Ireland's new style of play did you see enough positives in that first half from them? I won't lie I rewatched the game last night and I was
2: frustrated at times and it reminded me of do you remember when Farrell took over in Ireland and he implemented a style of play and people were saying this isn't good enough Watching it back last night, I had to remind myself of where Farrell is now and that these things take time. In saying that, there were certainly elements of play from Ireland that were very positive. Um, If we look at their tries that they scored, they came as a result of winning the collisions, getting over the gain line, keeping the ball in hand, their distribution game, running sharp lines. Like The tries they scored were very, very good. It was situations in the game when they were transitioning into attack, especially, and when they kicked the ball, that tended to frustrate me a little bit. And just to give a bit of context, I suppose, on it, about a minute and, four, a minute and 54 seconds into the game, Ireland won a turnover in and around, in and around kind of just past the halfway line. And when Ireland won that turnover, you can see... Stacey Flood, who's at 12, she's almost in behind the ruck and the camera kind of pans out and you can see players out wide for Ireland kind of reloading across, getting ready for this. So Ireland play one phase and after that one phase, Stacy Flood is still pretty much in behind the ruck there and in my eyes, sorry, sorry, just to remind a little bit, she's still in behind the ruck, but over on the far touchline, you have Eamon just hugging the touchline. There's players that are kind of staggered across the pitch and Wales' width and defence is quite narrow, so straight away in my eyes, after that first phase, Ireland should have been transitioning out wide, looking at where the space was, getting that message in, and going out. But what happened in reality is, after that one phase, the ball just flashed back to to Stacey Flood, and she just kicked deep into Wales' twenty-two, and just gave them back possession after winning that turnover. That for me was a prime example of just just play, just reload, and go because. Like As we know, off transition ball, you just have to play what's in front of you. What was in front of them was a narrow D and they didn't take advantage of it. Uh, there was another occasion uh, in the kicking that Cronin was given a poor pass and I'm not blaming her at all for this. Like It was a poor pass, but she compounded the error by turning and just kicking the ball when a little just tip on pass or even just holding it would have been a better outcome for Ireland because Wales were quite narrow on the outside. So when Ireland kept ball in hand, I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Um, they, when, when they played in the way we know they can play, just ball in hand, distribution kind of was very, very good. Like For me, that should be the, the, the way they're looking to play. And they just mixed it a bit too much for me. But it should have just, for me, stuck with ball in hand kind of stuff and getting rid of the kicking game. Defensively, was a worry. I think. And there was occasions when or there were occasions when they were quite narrow in defence, but Wales decided just to truck it up. And if you look at the three Welsh tries that they scored, this is probably what frustrated me the most in regards to the performance was the fact that Ireland had to Ireland played very well and worked hard for their scores, but Wales's three tries could have been easily avoided. So like if we look at for one try it came off a driving lineup. So Wales mall was, yeah, it looked superior. But if you look at Ireland's mall D, I think there was only one player trying to defend that mall and two on the fringe. So that folding and around wasn't the best. That's an easy fix. Um, if you look at another try, you'll see Emer Constantine, she's backpedaling for maybe, I don't know, six, seven metres before trying to turn to catch that last attacker on the wing. But she's already now she's in a poor position rather than just kind of drifting across as you should. The another try then came off a scrum. Uh, the Welsh eight broke and popped to ten, but the Irish six is still driving. And I'm pretty sure she's never played six before. That was McCann. I think she's never played six, um, if memory serves. But she's still driving in that scrum. So suddenly then Cronin shoots up, but the defenders outside her don't. So while she hammers. That dog legs left outside, and that's where whales run down. And Ireland just concede ground the whole way. Like literally, if you watch it, it's almost like they're waiting for Wales to make an error. They're just conceding ground the whole way rather than square up, get a body in front, and force them to make a pass or force them to make a play. They're almost allowing them to play until they make an error, but they don't, they end up scoring. So that was quite kind of frustrating for me. But then I kind of said to myself, you have to like these things take time to bed in and it, it, you can't you can't just go straight off the bat and say you know throw the toys out of the pan
0: yeah no I think you made a great point there around sort of you know trying to uh, relate it back to Andy Farrell and the start of his tenure you know and I, I think they're, they are obviously trying to do something and you can see like with that sort of axis around Cronin and Flood what they are trying to do and, and get it wide but I, I think going back to that Farrell comment it's like I remember Mike cat making a comment you know that they're giving the autonomy to the players to play what's in front of them but the, it took the players a long long while to be able to understand what that was and what they wanted of them and i think it's it's going to be it could be similar here for the women's team i i do have issues i think in terms of the set piece the mall and the penalty count i think were were three big things that that killed them over over the, the start of the game um And in in some ways, like I I do see a sort of a looking back at the URC and and the men's game, I see I do see some sort of sort of similarities to Connacht. You know, they want to play a nice brand of rugby, which is admirable, but you don't you don't have the forward platform to sustain it against the bigger teams. And I think one of the, the things that really would worry me is that I wouldn't necessarily see Wales as one of the bigger teams. You're going to come up against the likes of England and France now who are going to be much bigger and much more powerful. And I think that's where there could be some serious damage done if, if the, sm- the small things around the line out, or the Mall D etc that you've talked about there, that they don't make changes to that. I don't think we are going to see a change
2: in the 23 for yeah. this weekend, to be honest with you. Um, I, I I think that it's going to be more or less the same. If, if we do see changes, I don't think we'll see more than two. Um to be honest with you I also think though just, just talking there You know you mentioned about And I know I talked about it, The Maldi and stuff And it takes time to bet in These changes and stuff But there was one play That Ireland had off a line out And they hit um, Who was it? I think it was Wall Who came up I'm not too sure But I'm, I'm pretty sure She was the one who carried It straight off a line out And you know It's just ball down Popped nine Nine passes to a carrier And she carried in But Wall was on her own. McMahon was late coming into that ruck. She actually enters from the side and late. But, I mean, for me, that's first phase offset piece. That should be, your seven should literally be there. And if if she's not calling for a tips line, she should know that she's straight away in that ruck. She was late and Wales turned it over and she actually entered from the side, but Wales got the penalty for the turn, turnover itself. But, you know, there, there's aspects there still that... How would you say, like in open play, you would nearly forgive it because it's broken play and stuff like that. But that's first phase. That should be, like, I'm carrying. If you're not calling tips, I'm calling this. You know, so mm-hmm. there's, there there are little areas like that that were frustrating too. But you know, I, I I don't think I don't think it does any favors to you know, like how do I say this? There's people in the media who looked at that game and afterwards. Said this was excellent. This was excellent. It wasn't all excellent, and I think if you turn around and you're just and it, saying congratulations, you know that was a good game, without any kind of negativity. I think it's almost unfair. Uh, to be honest, I think that like if the if the men's team made this these kind of mistakes, you'd be calling them out. So there should be no difference here. But again, like the men's team, when they started off under new management and tried to bring in a new style of play, it will take time to bed down and throwing toys out of the pram because don't get me wrong. I know that Ireland lost in the qualifiers and stuff like that. I know the win against USA and Japan wasn't exactly like emphatic wins, but straight away looking at this game against Wales under a new, pretty much an entire new management system with, you know, new players and key positions and saying, well, they lost, I'm going to throw the toys out of the pram. Like that does no favours either. You know? And I think there's enough of that in the media. Like there's other positives too. Like, I mean, if you look at Higgins in, in 13, I think she beat eight defenders. If you look at Neve Jones and at Hooker, like she made 23 tackles, like there's a there's a huge work and didn't miss any, I'd like to add. So there's a huge workload there and there were an awful lot of positives. I just think some of it is going to take time to bet in. I think that like kind of we talked about earlier, like with Leinster at the kicking game, you have to be very physical to upset their kicking game. I don't think that this Irish team have that platform to put in that kicking game yet. Um, because if they're not negating the opposition's line speed, obviously that's you're going to struggle to kick in it. But there were an awful lot of positives at the same time. Um, I'd probably sound very negative if I do. I don't mean to, but uh, there was just elements that frustrated me, all right, too.
0: Like I, I think one of the big things, and maybe looking at it, on sort of a big picture type way, is that the likes of Wales, England, France, etc., Scotland are, are going to be looking at. This tournament, in terms of World Cup preparation, they're going to be looking to get sort of squads together and they're finalising things. Whereas Ireland are coming at it from a very different angle. In that, as you said, new coaching setup, <coughs> new tactics, and you're looking at it longer term. It's it's not necessarily for for out and out results. In, in this, you you're looking for to implement the the sort of the, the cornerstones, the foundations of of the sort of the platform that you're going to put in for the following World Cup. And I think that's a big thing. But I, I still go back to the size and particularly in the in the tight five. And I think that once they come out of this they may have to be a bit more pragmatic about it and you know there there are there are other players that are not in this squad that could help them in terms of size and physicality you know whether they want to bring back the likes of the or someone like that that will will offer them something there but it is a compromise in terms potentially of the the style of play that they want to. but i think that's something that they they may look at beyond this tournament
2: yeah no i fully agree i think i think like like I said, I don't see any changes coming for this weekend. Really, to be honest with you, it's going to take time to bet in. Yes, there were elements that were frustrating, but again, you can't just take, you can't just see the loss and turn around and say, "Well, they lost, so clearly everything went to pot." Like it's, it's. Yes, there are elements that were frustrating, but
0: like you can't ignore the positives that were there either. Exactly. So they have France this weekend. Um, I think we're. I'm I'm going to go for a, a French win on
2: that, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I I kind of see hard to see past it, to be honest with you. And um, we we mentioned it last week that Ireland, I think, would have targeted the three home games. Okay. Um, and obviously, I know that hasn't gone to plan. But France was always going to be a big task. And and I think another thing that's actually worth we talking about is that, like in terms of uh, you know, get, getting teams up to up to speed of other teams and like we talked about the contracts and stuff like that too like when you give a team a contract or when you let's say start a a team on a path if there's a team that you're trying to catch up to they're still edging away too like they still have years of experience that you have to catch up on as well Um, and i think that's what ireland will be doing as well now over the next while too when it comes to england and france but in terms of the france game anyway yeah i don't see many changes coming into the squad if any Um, And I I find it difficult to see past a French win as well. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to be wrong on this situation. And I think that if this Irish team can win away in France, I think that would do far more than it would have done with a Wales win at home, if that makes sense. But um, I am finding it difficult to see past a French win, to be honest
0: yeah okay we'll round it up there folks thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen as it really helps also be sure to share the podcast on social media and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear more or less of hope you have a good week your provincial team wins and the three of us will be back next week to chat again